friends, welcome back to the show. Today, it is my honor to have my dear friend Richard Beck back on the podcast. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm up here in Pennsylvania on vacation, enjoying the mild weather, escaping Texas. So what's it What's it there for you, like 100 degrees? Yeah, it dropped down to 100. It uh, <laughs> dropped down to 100, which is a, a cool breeze. Uh, it's in some ways like a cold front, so 100 degrees, yeah. I know. I Texas, got is the, where, Texas is the one place where when it's 98, a cold front is blown through. No, that's real. That's real. I have gotten to the Richard Beck part of my life where I, I think probably when I first saw you, I was an undergrad, you were teaching at uh, ACU wearing your denim shorts most days of the week. And I get it now. Like when it's over a hundred, if it's 101, I will wear shorts to work now. I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm not, I'm not fighting it. I'm just going to go with it. Oh yeah. Summer lasts until I, my sister asked me the other day, she goes, what, when does, uh, when does uh, autumn start in Texas? And I said, uh, after Thanksgiving. And it's like two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's about it. That's about it. And that's when the uh, cedar fever comes out pretty strong down here in mm-hmm. Austin. Yeah. So it's, it's either like a hundred or it's cedar fever. So, you know, we, we got the great seasons. Who else? Who needs more than that? Uh, Richard, we, we wanted to cover the weather. We got that out of the way already. Um, but we also wanted... I know. How interesting talk- is that? Like, let's talk... Let, here's, two, here's two guys talking about the weather. A lot of people love that. Honestly, I get a lot of feedback and people are like, honestly, I don't hear you talking about the weather enough. And so in some ways, this is hitting that quota that uh, I've I've kind of put on myself just to make sure we give a little bit of content about the weather. All the weather nuts out there. Yeah. More meteorology. Yeah. Do you remember when you used to have to listen or watch the news at the last like seven minutes to get the weather for the week and the next day? And now you're like, I just have a phone for that. I don't I don't need to watch the news for my weather anymore. Uh, yeah, phones have changed a lot of things. I remember being lost. You remember without Google Maps, how there were we used to get literally lost. Yeah, you, no, that, you'd, you'd be out on the middle of a country road and go like, "I have no idea where I am." Like that is like a world that my students know nothing about. They don't know what it means to be lost. Yeah, I, I think the equivalent is your phone dies. Oh yeah, that's the closest thing to being lost. If your phone dies, you can't find your phone. Yeah, that's. <laughs> It's weird when people don't have the phenomenon of being lost. That is, that's something. Anyway, got that covered too. We also want to talk about phones. We wanted to do the Luddite section. Kids these days and their phones, got that. I mean, we're hitting all the high notes. We sell like two grumpy old men, you know, talk about the weather and these kids and their iPhones. <laughs> well, let's, let's be grumpy about something else. Let's talk about masculinity. Richard, I did a podcast about, just a rant. It was just me, just me flying solo, just talking about, what it means to be a man. And uh, so I talked about lumberjack skills of mine, talked about carpentry, uh, talked about kicking things and punching deer in the face, all the, the important masculine stuff. Yeah. And we, we, we touched just briefly, ever so briefly, on the name Jordan Peterson, Jordan who Peterson. has become near and dear to your heart. He is, he's like the uh, content machine for ex- experimentaltheology.blogspot.com. I mean, that thing is holding on on Blogspot and Jordan Peterson. He's, he's getting a lot of love, a lot of attention on your, on your blog these days. Uh, How mixed, did you stumble into to that? Uh, I got mixed feelings about that. Yeah, so for years on my blog, I've been doing like a year, I'll do like these year-long series. And, mm-hmm. um, and so some series have been great. Like one year I, I blogged through the entire Lord of the Rings. That was a lot of fun. 
Um, but this year, because of the phenomenon known as Jordan Peterson, I've been blogging through his academic work. He's written a couple popular books, but the book he published first that kind of is like his magnum opus is intellectual work uh, is called Maps of Meaning. So I've been blogging through Maps of Meaning. And the reason is couple, twofold. One is ever since the Jordan Peterson phenomenon, as since he's a psychologist talking about spiritual things, every since he started uh rising in the in a social media media firmament people have asked me what do you think about jordan peterson what do you think about jordan Mm -hmm. peterson so this series is what i think about jordan peterson the other thing is though i've also been as somebody very interested in masculinity issues Uh, obviously uh i spent a lot of time walking alongside young college men as a college professor and uh, see up close the struggles young men are having I'm interested in his appeal just from a pastoral evangelistic perspective. But the other big thing is like, I was really interested in his Bible lectures. Uh, he did these like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if anybody's ever listened to these things, but these are like two to three hour, just almost extemporaneous union reflections and ramblings about scripture. And he was packing out like a concert hall in his hometown. And there's those Bible lectures have got millions of views and it, it, that's of interest to me because people say, I don't want to come to church and sit through a Bible lecture. You've heard that criticism as a pastor. You know, young males say, why oh, do yeah. I need to, why do I need to come to church and listen to a three minute, 30 minute talk? And yet millions of people are going to listen to this guy talk for two to three hours about scriptures. So what mm-hmm. was it about? What was it about what he was doing with scripture that was so compelling and attractive? Could we learn something about how to talk about the Bible um, in the modern world from Jordan Peterson. So those are kind of my interests yep. in him. Yeah. I, I have interacted a, a great deal uh, about Jordan Peterson in uh, my newfound community with, uh, I've gotten into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the last couple of years and oh. been training for a while. And it's almost as if, if you train Jiu-Jitsu, if you're interested in martial arts, then you have some connection to Jordan Peterson. There's multiple, even the last six months, yeah. I like I finished like rolling, which is like practicing uh, with a buddy of mine, and he just got done like beating the snot out of me for five minutes, and then like we, the bell rings, we stop, and he goes, hey, um, I, I don't know if this is the right time, but what do you think about Jordan Peterson? Like, <laughs> seriously, just like that. Three weeks ago, a guy walks into my gym. Hey, hey, you, oh, you're Luke. You're, uh, you, you've written books, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh, I'm reading Jordan Peterson right now. And I was like, of course you are. I mean, 100%. So there's all this Jordan Peterson, especially in that subset of men who have an interest in combat sports. Of course, Jordan Peterson is, is right there in the middle of it. So I, I would love to unpack some of this stuff with you. Now, first thing you said was he's a union... I feel like I'm always saying Carl Jung's name wrong when I'm doing that. But yeah. how, uh, you, say it correctly for me. Jungian, Carl Jung, he's a Jungian psychologist. A Jungian clinical Jungian. psychologist. Yeah, Jungian. J. They, they got to get a better name. That's a weird name. Yeah. 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 Okay, give me, give me um, 30 seconds on what we need to know about Carl Jung's work so that we can put him somewhere on the map. Peterson, that yeah. is. Yeah, I think, so the, the quick thing I say about Carl Jung is that he was very interesting, student of Freud, psychodynamic kind of tradition, believed in the unconscious, but unlike Freud, where Freud felt the unconscious was this roiling mix of sexual and aggressive drives, Jung felt that the unconscious was the seat of kind of spiritual wisdom. Uh, 
And he believed that this was a collective unconscious, that everybody who had, you know, every human being had access to the collective unconscious, had access to this kind of universal spiritual wisdom. And we navigate the collective unconscious through what Jung called archetypes, which are these kind of recurring symbols in literature, in fairy tales, in mythology, in the great uh, wisdom traditions and religious books, these archetypes that um, reveal to us kind of important spiritual truths. So, in a Jungian approach to this, the, the unconscious, we tap into the collective unconscious and we uh, access the wisdom of our of our shared ancestry of mothers and fathers, and use those archetypes which come to us through religious myth. Um, to learn about how to navigate and flourish in our lives. And so, Peterson is coming from that tradition and is known for using that Jungian approach to read the Bible. Okay. And so, when you said religious myth, could you unpack what you mean by that, or and maybe more specifically, how you think Peterson uses the Bible or how he sees Jesus? Yeah, so um, so confessing Christians would believe that the scripture is more than a myth. Uh, but Jordan Peterson approaching exactly. the Bible from a psychological perspective isn't going to be interested in reading the scripture as kind of a literal historical truth or as a kind of a literal metaphysical supernatural truth. What he's more interested in reading is kind of, we'd say, kind of maybe uh, the wisdom. Um, and so myth is communicating wisdom, rules of life. Um, that, so we're not really interested in reading like like in his Bible lectures on Genesis. He's not reading like Cain and Abel as a little historical brothers, but as kind of almost in a Shakespearean drama. What does it mean that uh, that brother rises up and kills brother? What what is the truth of that across time and place that is being communicated to us through this ancient Hebrew story? So he's going to be reading it uh, more uh, as a literary document but also not just as literary document, but as a psychological insight into human behavior. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus, you write about this as an existential hero for how to deal with suffering. Flush that out a little bit more for us. Yeah, so one of the great archetypes um, in the in Jungian psychology is the hero archetype. And, and so the hero archetype... Some unpacked differently, but typically think about a, think about a Marvel movie um, where right the hero or a Batman movie right so the hero comes let's go in Marvel. we like Marvel more let's go with Marvel okay so think about like an Iron Man or something like that or think about the Avengers mm-hmm. right the heroes in stage one of the hero drama uh, encounter uh, uh, the enemy but be, but so there's an initial brush with the opponent mm-hmm. but because of some flaw in the team some like distrust or, or in Iron Man's case, right? Some narcissism uh, or in Rocky Balboa's hero journey, right? Um, uh, fear of not being good enough, right? So because of some internal spiritual ailment or lack, the hero fails. So part two, act two of the hero story is an internal journey. And mm-hmm. so there's an internal journey. They kind of go out into the desert there. They kind of wrestle with their own inner demons and they fight that battle first, and then when they overcome that internal story, that's when you'll hear the Rocky music start to play, right? That's when you know that the internal drama has finished, and now he will emerge in Act 3 to encounter the antagonist, or as Peterson likes to slay, right, the hero will encounter the dragon. 
But because the internal journey has been successfully uh, accomplished, the spiritual quest, the hero then can defeat the dragon, right? So the idea there is that archetype, that story is told from a Jane Austen novel all the way to a Marvel movie, all the way to the Lord of the Rings, right? Almost every story that we've ever told is this kind of hero story. And so Peterson would take that story and say, hey, that, that becomes a mo- an insight for our kind of psychological health and our process. And so if that's true, then, then Peterson reads scripture and, and puts Christ in that kind of hero journey. So Christ encounters the chaos of existence and he, and he carries his cross and he goes into his Golgotha. There he fights the inner journey, right? Wrestling with the Lord. And once he emerges out of Golgotha, he can face Pilate and the cross and death with bravery and conviction and bring something redemptive out of all of that evil and, and pain. And so that's, that's a kind of a union way of reading Christ as an exemplar of the, of the hero archetype mm-hmm. and so as a christian yourself where peterson would not identify as a christian is that correct well there's a lot of debate about that so he seems to oh, be on okay. the he, yeah, he seems to be kind of on the edge in many ways he seems very i mean he did a whole lecture series on the scripture um but but as far as being a confessing christian to all the kind of creedal and metaphysical beliefs i don't think he's made that step yet but i would but one of peterson's interesting moves is he kind of considers everybody functionally christian it's one of his interesting takes is that because the bible is the mythology of the of the western world the archetypes and the mythology of the bible is you can think about it as as the operating software of western culture so everybody in the West is functionally Christian. That's believer and non-believer. That's atheist and theist. So, so for Peterson, belief itself is less interesting to him than the, the arena of moral performance that the Bible's myth creates. Okay. But he's not a confessing Christian, I don't think. So you could have just said no? Right there, I could, but you know, I'm trying to be. You know, I'm a professor. I'm going to give a yeah, little no. lecture. I get here, it. And, you know. I get it. I get it. It's summertime. <laughs> you haven't been lecturing for a while. This, I mean, you, you know, I grew up. It's all built up in me. You. Yeah, it's just after months of that, like you just have to. I get it. I get it. That's my fault. I shouldn't have asked an open yeah, yeah. open ended question. No, but like obviously, like he's saying the influence of Christianity on the West is pretty substantial and to like think we can completely divorce ourselves might be a little bit of an overstatement for anyone but Peterson wouldn't have a classical definition of Christian typically placed upon him whereas you and I would and so right. when we you specifically when you hear his reading of scripture and you hear his reading of Christ this way how how analogous is that to the way that you read the Christ event yeah i mean so I would say, listen, I have no problem with reading Christ as kind of a, an existential hero. Um, I, I don't have any problem. Uh, re- I, in, in my blog, I, I described uh, Peterson's description of Christ as like a Sisyphean hero. And I'm borrowing there from uh, Albert Camus' book, The Myth of Sisyphus. In the Greek mythology, Sisyphus was condemned by the gods to have to roll like a large boulder up a hill, only to have it roll down to the bottom of the hill. And he has to do that over and over and over for all eternity. And he's condemned to that fate. And Camus, you know, looks at that and says, that's us. You know, after the death of God, as Nietzsche declared culturally, we... we we, our lives are just rolling this rock up a hill for no point or no end. Life, life seems meaningless. And so Camus is wrestling with what, how does Sisyphus get meaning out of a meaningless existence? How can we squeeze uh, 
uh, value and worth and meaning out of kind of a nihilistic, materialistic view of the cosmos. And Peterson would say that, that Christ is like a Sisyphean hero. He, he shoulders the burden of, of the suffering or the catastrophe of existence. And those are his words. Like he, he is a very hyperbolic about, about describing um, human life as just one of suffering, uh, a cat- mm-hmm. catastrophe. So Christ takes that and he is a hero because he rolls that catastrophe up the hill as he goes to Golgotha and makes something beautiful and redemptive out of it. So he's a Sisyphean mm-hmm. hero. He takes the catastrophe of existence and he takes that pain and you know turns it into gold. Um, and so that's us. That's our job. When we wake up in the morning, we are like Sisyphus. I have a day in front of me, the rock to roll up the hill, to follow Christ, to take up my cross, is to bear the pain and the catastrophe of existence and turn this day into something beautiful. So I have to, as he would say, order the chaos or slay the dragon. And I, I don't have a, listen, I don't have a problem with reading Christ that way. Um, I do think we all face a Sisyphean feat at the, the beginning of the day. Um, I think a lot of us are dealing with despair, um, addiction, depression, and anxiety. And, and the day does feel very heavy to us. And so his call to some sort of, agenic, active um, energy that needs to be inserted uh, into the world. And this is to connect with your point about young men. That's a message that many young men find attractive and need to hear. I do, I do think Christ calls us to, to do that, to take up our cross. What I have trouble with, I think your question is getting to, is I don't, as a Christian, want Christ reduced to existential coping. And I think that's what Peterson mm-hmm. ultimately does. Christ is a model for how to cope with existence. Where Christians believe a deeper claim about Christ, that he's not just a pattern of coping. He's not just an archetype. He is the ground of existence itself. So when we emulate Christ, we aren't just coping with a catastrophe. We are people of hope and resurrection. And so Christians live in a very different metaphysical arena than Jordan Peterson does. And I think that that divide is one of the where, where places where I, as a Christian, kind of part ways with him. Yeah, I think one of the things that seems to be really problematic to me is his YouTube video about uh, like letters to the Christian church and what they need to do. There's, a, there's some Christians who've just bought hook, line, and sinker into what he said. And it makes me at least a little uncomfortable to let someone who probably wouldn't identify themselves overtly as a Christian to determine the vocation and the the telos of what Christians and the church should be doing. It seems like it's a little bit short-sighted. I think, you know, his feedback is is really helpful. And I think the language about slaying the dragon, creating order, um, the stuff about turning, turning into gold, like all that, I think there's some really valuable insight that we could have great dialogue about. But if, if we're giving him like a, a prime seat at the table to discuss what the church should be doing, it, it, you know, it just doesn't seem like that's really the ideal move. Yeah, I, I think his video message to the Christian churches, um, I, I felt like was a bit of culture war um, yeah. uh, propaganda. And so depending on where you stood on the Jordan Peterson phenomenon or kind of where you see his where you see him located uh, in that thing that, that you kind of just immediately jumped onto him and kind of latched onto what he was saying and said, I agree with this. I liked it. I viewed it, shared it versus everybody that kind of found him problematic. He was obviously was worried about that, but I agree with you. I don't think a union psychologist should be telling the church 
what her what her business is um especially if he doesn't believe in all the things that we believe and, and that's kind of been one of my criticisms yeah. of his that that i think there is something compelling about the way he describes scripture that can kind of resonate that i think we can learn from uh, but at the end of the day i think we have a very different view of reality um especially christ that was that's been one of my biggest complaints about him yeah now i think his over-the-top kind of uh, histrionics that is part of his brand the sort of you know zero-sum game like either for me or the enemy that kind of stuff the the culture war stuff I, like that's part of playing the being a you know pop celebrity psychologist like you you play those games kind of a political mm-hmm. figure whether you're running for office or not and that's kind of what he does which i think is a little bit short-sighted but in terms of his brand and all that obviously it's doing great things for his platform but if if, if you get caught on that either it becomes like he's the best thing in the world or he's trash. And there doesn't seem to be much middle ground of like, okay, we get kind of like the, the character, the pro wrestling character he's playing, which seems to be a popular shtick, whether it's in, um, in that or politics, that's just what we do these days, unfortunately. But if you actually get to the subject matter of what he's really dealing with, I think the reason that he connects to young men is the slaying the dragon metaphor. I think that works really well. Uh, one of the things I said in my rant is I think, one of the biggest problems with men is that we're isolated and we don't know how to create community. And if you have a common goal that you're working towards, whether it's 12-step community that you're slaying the dragon, if you're an addiction, you have a group of people you're doing it with, there's a there's a, a real intense community because you have the shared battle that you're working towards. Or, you know, I, I told this story a couple weeks ago that... Um, I did this uh, jujitsu competition this last summer, and there's a the guy uh, I, I competed against. Afterwards, like we just became friends, and we were talking for 20 minutes after just you know trying to kill each other on the mats in front of hundreds of people. <laughs> and like he's texting me, and then like the, you know the Monday after, he, hey, here's the video. This is this blah blah blah. I've never and then he says this thing this thing about I've never felt a sense of community like I've found immediately in jujitsu. And the community is like this, this shared suffering. You have a group of people have this dragon they're trying to slay together and they kind of rally around it. And it taps into, you use the word, um, agen- how do you say the word? Agenic? Agenic, yeah, from agency. Which is I'll, a, I'll, I, yeah. I can define that in a minute. Yeah, I got, but it's like a fancy word to say that like there are people who are aggressive in the idea of being passive yeah. and sitting and listening and singing songs about how much you love Jesus doesn't come with the way that they're naturally wired. And you make the observation that I think one of the big issues, I agree with you, is where you have some people, uh, many of them are men, uh, obviously there are some women as well, not to say it's just men, but research would show that it's probably more men than women. Uh, But you have some people who are wired like this, who go, this sort of like love songs to Jesus in a circle is, I'm going to tap out of that. Like that's, that's not my thing. And so the Jordan Peterson's and the, the Mark Driscoll kind of stuff taps into that. And at least it gives them some voice to how they're, they feel like they're wired. Yeah. So the, the word agency comes from um, a personality theory in psychology. Like one of the biggest personality theories is called the big five. And Peterson talks about the big five a lot. Um, but another popular one is the big two. And the big two is the, the kind of two-by-two two grid of what's called agency and communion. So communion is typically in the big five, the agreeableness dimension. It's communion is about connection, communion, relationality, uh, intimacy. Okay. And so, you know, stereotypically women are higher on the communion dimension. Not all, but statistically higher on the communion dimension. Agency is needs for control, uh, activity, um, 
and and it could be also aggressiveness, competitiveness, dominance. Men tend to be higher on agency, although you can be a male that is higher on communion and lower agency. So the words are they're not gender exclusive. But my point is that high agency individuals, so for the purpose of this, men who are high agency individuals may struggle with the passivity of a Sunday morning. The, the, the sitting there, the singing, the, uh, the need for extroversion, the demand for extroversion, small talk, um, the need for getting in touch with one's feelings, uh, a pastoral class that has been highly educated in seminary, uh, and so therefore um, more relational. Um, and then just there is going to be, I would argue, a constant friction of calling highly agentic people to kind of a kenotic journey toward the cross. By kenosis, I mean the word from Philippians that Christ empties himself, takes on the form of a servant. That kind of downward descent into um, radical availability and service for all will, will, I think, chafe against some personality types. I want to be clear here. Every personality type has its particular frictions with Jesus, and I think highly agentic types are going to have particular frictions with Jesus. Um, but I also think by the, we, we exacerbate some of that with the way we kind of maybe do church. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I think that will be a chronic problem. I want to be clear. I don't think there's a silver bullet. But I do think there are two paths that are in front of us. One is the path of Mark Driscoll and Jordan Peterson, which is, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take all the traits of masculinity – and, and for those who, who read David French, David French has, I think, written some really good nuanced stuff on this choice here. David French would say what we what Peterson and Driscoll do is they take the high agency, the dominance, the, the competition, and they baptize it. Right? Mm-hmm. They, they don't prophetically shape it. They just baptize it. And so they kind of create a masculinized Christianity. Um, but they're really just baptizing those traits. But what French would argue is instead what we need is to take that high agency, that that drive, the competition, um, the aggressiveness and, and assertiveness, and shape it for kingdom ends. So we should redeem those traits. We shouldn't just baptize them. And, and thus the call for these men is to, yes, appeal to them, but also engage in spiritual formation, not try to somehow grind those traits out of them, but to direct those traits to kingdom ends. Because I do think there's a particular energy um, that you find amongst highly agentic types that the kingdom can tap into. Um, and so I do think there's peril and promise there, but there's that's the same way with any sort of um, uh, demographic group. Okay. So you've written the in your blog about this, the church should think about how the impulse, that agentic impulse to slay the dragon, how the impulse can be redemptively evoked and directed rather than shamed and squashed. Can I want you to flesh out both of those things. Give me some examples of ways that we've shamed and tried to squash that. And then what's the flip side? You're an elder at your church. You've, you're deeply committed to the life of the church. Um, what, what are ways that we could also, you know, direct and re- redeem that? Yeah, well, I think, a couple things. So, some, so there's two different kinds of things here. That, that it, well, there's many things here. Um, but one thing is just what I would call just stereotypical gender role interests. Um, and by that, I mean, like, so if you're talking about, you were talking mixed martial arts, okay? There are obviously women involved in mis, mixed yeah. martial arts. Like, so I forget, uh, Amanda Nunes, is it Nunes? 
Yeah, Amanda Nunes, one of the greatest ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She just like rewon her title or like that. Like I do not want to be in the octagon with no. Miss Nunes, right? She would Amanda would dis- murder both of us. Right, right. So that's why that's why you just can't float out these these traits in a, a gender stereotypical way. But but stereotypically speaking, if you look at the people who watch MMA and are involved in it, that's going to skew male. And that is there anything yeah, that's true. problematic with that? No. What Mark Driscoll did, though, is he wants to baptize that, right? You know, I can't worship a Jesus I can beat up. That's baptizing MMA and just saying mm-hmm. it's right. But 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 as far as just what you're doing, um, hey, I'm, uh, there's something about this shared journey of struggle and um, the community that is formed and slaying the dragon, the discipline of the body, the, 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 the testing of one's limits up against another person in the octagon and kind of like, I mean, that's just existence stripped down to its bare kind of thing. Um, right. That, 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 that's just a, an interest that people can have. And, and yeah. so, so, so one way to squash things is just kind of look at gender role interests and, um, dismiss them as uh toxic masculinity just say well if, if you're involved in that that's just toxic so just the idea that you know you're talking about your interest in mixed martial arts some might consider like oh right there might be this like little red flag that go off in their head so i think that's one example of that i think the mm-hmm. other thing is is the ways we describe masculinity in the culture wars at the, the traits of assertiveness um let's say becomes problematic in and of itself and so sometimes we can describe just agentic traits as toxic and we don't mean we they're not necessarily toxic they're just the way some of us are are, are wired um so for example okay so for like a biblical example think about like um jesus right so was jesus high on communion or agency and the answer is both right highly relational good with good with relationships of with men, women, and children, but also highly agenic, um, you know, turns over the tables, is able to go to his crucifixion with kind of a stoical resignation, um, was able to be spit upon and slapped in the face and took it, you know, not in a cowering kind of way. And so, so to me, what we're looking, that's what I mean by redeeming, rather than squashing traits like physical courage, like Jesus' f- raw physical courage, or the courage of the martyrs in the Christian tradition, male and female, um, that physical courage um, does not need to be shamed. That, that, that's a strength that the church needs. We need, we need courageous people. We need assertive people. We need confident people. And we might even need aggressive people. Um, but the question is, to what end are those traits directed and if they're directed, and this is where I think masculinity gets complicated in the, the cultural conversation, because typically the way masculinity is often framed is it's framed over against the feminine. And I think Peterson is vulnerable on this score because he typically casts the hero as masculine, and chaos in his union analysis often is the feminine. So to slay the dragon or to order the chaos where the hero is male and the chaos and the dragon is cast as feminine is setting up um, a relationship there that I don't see uh, in Jung himself. So for Jung himself, he felt every human person had both masculine and feminine archetypal wisdom in them, the anima and the animus. And the goal of human development is to give voice and to tap into what we call your masculine and your feminine side. So if you're a woman and you 
have too much communion, you might need to activate some of that, um, you know, the warrior goddess, Wonder Woman stuff. So you see that in amongst women themselves, how they're elevating highly agenic women types because um, they're not trying to squelch their feminine side, but activate a part of their personality that has been repressed because of patriarchal structures. In a similar way, we don't want to take highly agenic men and squash their agency. We want to leave that there, but we need to activate their ability to say, I love you to your children, right? To express intimacy with women and men and children, right? To tap into their feelings, right? So the goal, what I like about Jung's view is that you're supposed to tap into both sides and have them mixed together, where I think Peterson tends to cast the male-female the way he deploys archetypes in an antagonistic way. Now, to be clear, like he, he's clear that the, the chaos is a source of generativity and creativity and potential, right? So he's clear that the feminine side is good. But in the simplistic way, his message gets sent out on YouTube, Slay the Dragon, Order the Chaos, and by the chaos is the Great Mother. I think, I think there is some, um, without nuance, that can tip into some uh, uh, dark kind of places. Anyway, that's what I would say about squashing versus activating. Um, mm-hmm. We're not trying to s- squish traits to have other traits replace them as much as we're trying to get access to both traits. So we have assertiveness, but also empathy. Yeah. Uh, one of the Peterson quotes that gets tossed around a lot in the martial arts community is there's a line, it might have been honestly on a Joe, Joe Rogan podcast, where he said, you would rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And so, I, as I hear that expression, it's like, you, you want to be dangerous. This is, I think, the, the rest of that quote is like, you want to learn how to be dangerous, but then you learn how to calm that down. And on Instagram, like, it's always paired with, like, some meathead, like, bench pressing 405 or, you know, doing some, like, very, quote-unquote, masculine sort of physical prowess kind of uh, exploitation. And so it's like, be really, like, strong and, and fierce and, and, and violent, but then you learn how to be a nice guy and calm it down, and so you don't ever need to express that. It, like, that's the sort of messaging where the church doesn't have a way to say, no, it, it's okay for you uh, to have this sort of uh, agenic wiring. It, it's okay for you to have this dominant, like, um, aggressive, confident personality, but then we want to find a way to make that cruciform instead of just calming it down so that you can not be violent on everyone, but instead to say, no, we want this to go through the shape of the cross. And what does it mean for you to have this personality like Peter, who has a propensity to cut people's ears off? And Jesus goes, okay, you're going to need to put that away. You're kind of missing the point here, but you need to take that same sort of thing into this self-emptying discipleship process where you go, okay, I'm going to take this brave, uh, proactive, um, you know, highly like uh, like alpha male or alpha female personality, and let that become shaped into the image of the cross, which lo- makes you look vastly different on the other side. But it's still that sort of taming and disciplining this personality trait that's not always valued. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people have said that the the, the places where a lot of those traits, like we're talking about physical courage and physical strength, like for most of human history, society had. Um, had had need of those things, right? There were warrior classes. Um, Physical manual labor was a thing, right? You could be a lumberjack. My, my, both my grandfathers were coal or coal miners, right? So the, so physical labor um, was, it was a need, right? We, we needed the physical size and strength and power of men um, to just 
survive and fight the chaos of the natural world. You know, but increasingly, um, those traits are not is essential. And, and so I exactly. do think yeah. you're seeing a crisis in the modern world about where, where are the, so here you have evolution has shaped the bodies, right? So that's the sexual dimorphism. Men are physically larger than women. And then you have the hormonal traits, you know, driven by testosterone. Um, and you, so you have a kind of a, that, that those made adaptive sense, but now suddenly in the, in the span of a hundred years, since the, since the rise of the, the, the technological revolution, and now with the onset of the computer and artificial intelligence world, right? Those traits now are pushed to the side. Uh, and, and, but yet there, 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 there they <clears throat> stew. And if the church doesn't say something redemptive to them, I do think that stews and can get malformed by, by toxic cultures where it can go to kind of very dark and dangerous places. So that's why I'm, I'm interested in the crisis of masculinity, because if you just have isolated young men who are prone to isolation for the very same evolutionary process we've talked about, they're prone to isolation. They're just watching YouTube videos and they're being formed by the algorithms of Google, pushing in front of them things that make them angry and more alienated and more outraged. I don't think that's a good solution for society. So I think I have an interest in what might capture their attention um, so rather than being just obsessed with fight club, <laughs> how can I get them interested in, in taking that, that energy and pushing it towards more redemptive ends? Now, is that, is that tricky? Is that hard? Yeah. Is there always going to be some friction there? Are we always going to mainly lose that battle with a young man? You know, like, is there, is there going to, are they going to be more interested in Brad Pitt on fight club or the way of Jesus of Nazareth in the gospels? Um, I think they're probably going to be more interested in Brad Pitt and Fight Club. So we're always going to be struggling against that kind of intrinsic appeal of, I would call it the flesh, right? Um, the, the way yeah, they're wired. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we have to lose every uh, person to that, to the flesh. I think, I think we need to be better evangelists. And so we should listen to what is interesting to them. Yeah. One of the things that people seem to love are The Rock's motivational takes and his pep talks that he gives on social media and it seems that there is a high value for going to the gym as the pinnacle of what it means to be putting in the work and what it means to being masculine and so if you're being a good man you're going to the gym you're working hard you're getting strong but there's no turning point where you go yeah but actually very few of us actually need to be strong enough to bench 405 and we don't actually require those physical skills in our day-to-day life there's a line from Roar, it's probably in um, Falling Upwards, where he talks about um, these uh, soldiers, I think it's Japan, maybe World War II, where they've come back from the war and they have this initiation. In some ways, like it's initiation back into culture, where they had this beautiful statement where they said, um, those things that served you so well in our country so well as a soldier, we appreciate them, but now we need you to evolve into something more and bigger than just what you have been. And it, it seems that sometimes we, we haven't like evolved with that. So we have this picture of masculinity that it's it's Brad Pitt and Fight Club. It, it's, you know, it's, it's The Rock or it's, it's Rocky Balboa or whoever. But like most of us don't ever need to be in a hand-to-hand combat situation. And most of us don't need to be able to cut down a tree with our own two bare hands. Like that, that's not what masculinity requires of us in our reality. But we don't have a picture. We haven't had like this idea of what does a, ma- a man look like? What does a masculine man look like on the other side of Fight Club? You know? 
Yeah, I agree. And this is where I think the hero archetype maybe could do some good work, right? Because there is something compelling to highly agenic types when you call them to a hero quest. And by that, there's going to be some, there is going to be some sacrifice. There is going to be some pain. There's going to be, and I think, and, and, and so I would say this one thing where I think Christianity has struggled in the modern world is that we've, we've made Christianity so therapeutic and, and comfortable and there's, there's needs there. I want to, to be clear. Um, like I do want Christianity to be therapeutic. I don't want that to be misconstrued, but I do think maybe there's a season where we actually do need to call people to more and, and I think that's where a lot of men struggle when they go to church. They're like, you know, they're singing Hillsong songs and it's all intimacy. And But but so you're not calling them to be more masculine, but you are calling them to a hero, heroic journey. And, that hero, and I would just point people to the hero archetype itself. Because the hero archetype itself says the hero journey um, is interior. It is spiritual. Um, it is facing your inner demons. That that so what happens, I think, in the way the hero archetype is being described currently by by Peterson, if not himself, by others who kind of quickly adopt them, is like they just want to jump to slay the dragon. You know, they just want to kick somebody's ass. But and and so the only way to get there is, like you said, just go you know, go train in the gym and go lift, you know, 500 pounds. Like, like that's the, that's how you slay the dragon. But if you watch the wisdom of the collective unconscious, you don't go from act one to act three. You have to do act two, which is you got to go into the desert, face your inner demons, and you have to face yourself first. That's the first battle. And I think that is being lost in all of this hero conversation is we, is we are not pushing young men into the hero journey of their own interior self. Um, and I think that might be a place where the church can call them to a, to a hero quest and say, winning that battle, because the dragon is you. That's the thing you got to face. The dragon is, looking, dragon is looking at you in the mirror. And so the dragon isn't radical feminists. The dragon isn't social justice warriors. The dragon isn't owning the libs, right? The dragon isn't, you know, I mean, it's not, that's not the dragon. Yeah. The, dra- the dragon is you. And I think that is a deeply Christian idea. Um, and and I, I think that's where we should kind of use the hero archetype for Christian purposes. Okay. So let's, let's flesh out some of the things that are the inner struggle that we call people that, that we need to step into. So you used Iron Man before from Marvel where he had to face his narcissism. Um, give me some more, like what are other examples? Uh, Fear of intimacy, the, the fear of, um, you know, being vulnerable, the fear, like what are other sort of. In, internal dragons or internal well, you were, yeah well i thought you wrote a whole book about this luke should we plug should we plug the monsters yeah, book at this point keep yeah plug plug away yeah befriending your monsters well, what, you gotta go well, there what, what were some of your monsters well i thought uh comparison the idea of like your identity being found in connection to like whoever's standing next to you like do mm-hmm. you see yourself as and isn't isn't that the culture of the gym yeah, I, I I definitely would say for um, like immature, unhealthy people, like it's mm-hmm. it's that where like there's a cool thing that happens is hopefully people gain maturity where it's not like hey if you're doing a little bit more than me then I'm gonna 
you know, ego lift amount of weight that's going to end up hurting me or that I can't do in a, you know, Mm -hmm. a a good functional form that is sustainable throughout life. But so there's the, like the, the ego lifting, but then there becomes a point where you're just like, Hey, I can celebrate you and I can cheer for you if you're stronger than me. That's great. Um, so yeah, I think that's part of, you know, the, the healthy older women and men at the gym are going to go, yeah, you, you're, you're younger than me. You're stronger than me. And I can celebrate that. It's not, you know, an affront on my ego. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, and in that sense, like the, the the gym becomes a location of virtue formation, right? I, I go in immature, I go in vain, I go in comparative. Um, I'm I'm only successful if I can diminish you in some way. So every every interaction is, you know, and then and then you know the gym itself humbles you, right? And your body time humbles you, so you're playing a long game. And I and I think that's one of the things with young men that will ultimately be helpful, right? Is just maturity. Um, uh, I think you and I probably look back at our college years with a great deal of uh, regret, maybe. Um, hmm. But I think we all do. Uh, yeah. But the question is for the church to kind of accompany young men through that season and not causing them to reject us outright. So we're still in relationship with them as some of those lessons are learned. Um, I, I definitely think, uh, uh, some, like, yeah, comparison is one you know, we talked about or, or vanity or narcissism. Um, I, I mean, I, I struggle with, I do think I, I had a joke about mansplaining the other day, how like, you know, typically mansplaining is, you know, men, you know, over explaining things to women, but yeah, I, I, I've been mansplained to death my, my whole life. Like if you ever, if you ever see men, men are so dominance wired, not men, stere- I mean, stereotypically yeah. are so dominance wired that if you have any sort of epistemological advantage over another man, you know, like be yeah. cars, barbecuing, whiskey, construction, like I've sat there and had like men explain to me things where they thought they knew more than me. You know, it's like, I think I'm being mansplained right here. I think they're just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but what's uh, the root of mansplaining is what? Well, I think I think it's kind of climbing that 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 dominance hierarchy, and so I do think highly agentic tr- types are constantly putting themselves on that pecking order. So we we would use the word the alpha, right? We have that kind of alpha tendency, for sure. Um, and I, so I think that is something that has to be chastened in men. Um, I yeah. do think we need to somehow say, listen, your your quest for knowledge and competency, um, is it to make you the strongest, smartest, most dominant, knowledgeable person in the space? And and, and again, like I said, where that trade is always going to struggle with the canonic down as Henry Nowen talked talked about the, the downward move of Christ. Um, I, I think some of us that have been very success driven and success can look differently. It looks differently in a gym. Uh, versus the corporate world, you know, swimming with like the corporate sharks and making money yep. and playing the, the stock market. It looks different in my world of uh, high, you know, academics and, and publishing and right. Everybody has mountains they're trying to climb. And I think those mountains are good. And I think somebody like a Richard Rohr, um, his falling upward book is really helpful there to kind of say, you know, there, there is a season where you do have to kind of like yep. build the, build the ego you know, get some wins in your column, know that you're competent, but at some point you got to make a turn and start giving some of that stuff away. And so that's that maturity aspect I was talking about. So anyway, that alpha trait that I, that a lot of competitive people have men and women, um, that, that trait is constantly has to be formed, um, in Christian community. For sure. For sure. Uh, mansplaining. I was doing, I did stand up comedy 
couple years ago in the summer for July, went to five or six different places, and I, I signed up for one open mic, and I was doing it at this this club somewhere, and it's called Cap City Comedy, which is a comedy club here in Austin. And the person who was a host like had the names, and I was like, hey, my my, my last name is pronounced Norsworthy. It's a weird last name, and so she goes up and says, yeah, this guy was mansplaining to me, and I was like. I wasn't mansplaining. It's a weird last name. Um, <laughs> I was like, cool, thanks. But I assume that there is just a body of information that she could draw upon where that's been her experience, where people have talked down to her because, you know, whatever reason, they just feel like they're the dominant one and they can't ever be in a position where they can be the learner instead of just always acting like they're the teacher. And that's like, I feel like that's maturity is learning to go. It's all right. I don't have to be the, the expert at everything that I don't have to pretend like my, ego is contingent upon me being in the driver's seat in every conversation. Yeah. And, and I would say, and, and to me, like for some people listening is like, that's more of a communal trait. Like listening is mm-hmm. a more of a relational community trait. And some of us struggle on that dimension. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. we might be more, more prone towards talking rather than listening. Um, mm-hmm. And we have to work on that. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's yeah, good. I've, just, good. I've just stood. I've just stood around bar- too many barbecue grills, having men tell you what to do. Like, hey, you're not doing that right, you know. Or you ever going like a boy, 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 boy scout trip and watch men discuss how to build the best fire? Oh, it's you know, it's just men. <laughs> you know, it's weird, though, I feel like with my with my interactions with people, like I, I do a monologue every week, and you do multiple monologues to your students week in week out. I find that, like it's. I, I feel like I owe it to the universe to go. Yeah. Tell me, tell me how to start a fire. Tell me, like, I, I've never done it before. Tell me the best way to tie my shoes. I, I feel like I have to reciprocate because I feel like people give that to me every Sunday, and I feel like I just need to give, give it back. Oh, that's good. It's know. very mature of you. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but it's, <laughs> I just feel like I owe it to the universe. You know, like, you put it out there and yeah. it comes back to you. I don't know. Uh, no, yeah. that's good. Okay, so Jordan Peterson, once you're done trying to destroy his career, who are you going to try to take down next? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Have you thought about doing a blog series on Alex Jones? <laughs> oh my gosh! No? You know what? Okay. In all seriousness, because I know I know that was for a cheap laugh there. But in all seriousness, it wasn't one of things cheap I laugh. It's a normal. Oh, laugh. okay. Just a, okay. I'm sorry about that. Quit mansplaining me. <laughs> 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 so. Uh, I, one of the things I did, I did, I don't, I don't want to destroy his career, but, but I, I do, I do, I did feel anxious about like blogging about him because I knew that I was going to have one or two reactions. Some people like, Oh yes. Like Richard Beck is going to come in and endorse Jordan Peterson. And like, that, that's, that's Richard Beck's stamp of approval and like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and then there were other people like, Oh no, Richard Beck is going to like blog about Jordan Peterson. Richard Beck is kind of, you know, and, and these are my liberal progressive, you know, um, people and so I, I was wary of picking up such a hot potato but one of the things i wanted to, my other interest in blogging about him was like i did want to blog about somebody controversial and to kind of do it in a way that was even that was fair and thoughtful like to say here's what i think they're doing good and here's what i find deeply problematic um and so i really wanted to model that I, I know that might be kind of paternalistic of me to kind of do that, but I really wanted to do, model that, that if you see Richard Beck writing about Jordan Peterson, um, I am not throwing meat into the culture war engines on the left or the right. And, and I, and I, so anyway, I was wanting to kind of do something that was not going to be, uh, there are things I strongly disagree with them. And there's things about them that I find very interesting and, 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 uh, uh, helpful. And I wish we could have more of that kind of conversation about Agreed. things like yeah. about men, 
right? I think we, you know, because there might be people that find something that I said or you said in this whole podcast deeply problematic. Um, I, I hope that any listener would say that you're hearing two people trying to trying to do something different in the culture war, not just throw bombs. And maybe that doesn't mean you know we don't get a zillion million views. I mean, I know you will, Luke. Speak for yourself. Um, yeah, speak for yourself. But yeah. but I, I do hope people of good will can model different ways of talking in online spaces. Um, yeah. I- that's essential to what I'm trying to do as well. I feel like that's so so needed that it, it, here's you had a line um, not too long ago where you said I'm not left or I'm not right. It's that I'm different. I, like I want to be like at a different camp than that. But what was surprising to me what you just said is that uh, you you said uh, as I'm trying to model that that might be paternalistic. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean I, I don't like to put my the trouble is when you kind of like do this like you know a pox on both their houses you kind of come off as like you know yeah. um, morally superior and I think I think some of my readers who've been with me or you know might get weary some of Richard is always above the fray and won't get his hands dirty and and, and kind of lay his chips down like like so I don't want to be I don't want to like be paternalistic in the sense of like, you know, like everybody, everybody on Twitter is a child and, and, and I am doing it a better way. I, I don't want it to come across that way. I do think, gotcha. yeah. I do think I am trying to do something different. It's very intentional. I hope people are attracted to my writing and your blog because we're trying to be thoughtful. We don't have it all right. We may mansplain you, <laughs> you know, and all the things, but, but hopefully they can see past our fault, our faults to kind of, see maybe another way of being a person of faith uh, online than what yep. we often see out there. No, I, I definitely see that in what you're doing. I really appreciate it. So uh, thank you for that. And um, no, I, I, that's great, man. Well, Richard, this has been a pleasure. You came on here during vacation, uh, which is just a sign of your great maturity. And so thank you for for displaying a great deal of maturity by doing this, sacrificing your vacation to be with me. But uh, Richard, it's a pleasure as always. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, my friend. Hey, do you have uh, do you have any any like books that are going to ever come out again? Do you have? Oh, you know what? Something? So, so Stranger God got a release as a paperback, and so mm-hmm. Stranger not Stranger God. Um, Stranger I don't Things. Even know, I don't even know my books. No, Hunting Magic Eels. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Hunting Magic Eels was out in hardback two years ago, and it's going to come out paperback this spring. Nice. And, bro- and Broadleaf, the publisher, allowed me to write four additional chapters for the paperback. Ooh. And those chapters are um, Why Good People Need God, mm-hmm. Go Live Your Beautiful Life, The Primacy of the Invisible, and a chapter I'm really excited about called Hexing the Taliban. So it's, it's my chapter time. on it's my chapter it's on okay. witchcraft. It's on my chapter on witchcraft, and, and, which is interesting for this podcast, right? Because um, I do think a lot of male pastors are in touch with what's going on with young men, right? They know they're hey, listen. If I want to be in touch with young men, I got to be listening to Jordan Peterson. I need to be listening to Josh Rogan, right? Like like those are the voices young men are being attracted to. But I do think that what. Um, a lot of male pastors aren't paying attention to is what's attracting like 13 year old girls in the pew. Um, and that's the rise of paganism and witchcraft. And so trying to tend to those enchantments in the world. So I wrote a, I wrote a chapter about kind of Christianity and witchcraft um, in that 
in that uh, chapter. So that that paperback with those four additional chapters will come out this coming spring. Okay, well, I can't wait for the Gospel According to Twilight by Richard Beck, which is going to be coming out in the spring. It sounds, it sounds great. If anyone who I know would be an expert on 13-year-old teenage girls, I, I've always thought it was going to be Richard Beck. And so this is all of my assumptions yeah. proved to be I'm correct. Prob- I'm probably out of my demographic wheelhouse. You know, you had me okay. kind of talk about like mixed martial arts. I'm out of my wheelhouse there too, though, so... Okay, well then, in, in light of that, let me mansplain a few things. First of all, jiu-jitsu is a martial art. Mixed martial art would be the sport of jiu-jitsu, oh. wrestling, uh, Muay Thai, or traditional boxing, all mixed together. And so this is just the sport of jiu-jitsu. So it's well, a part of mixed heard, martial art. I have heard, though, tell me if this is true, that, that all, all the best mixed martial artists need a solid foundation of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Like, because grappling is... Yep. Like, if you don't have that, you can't be successful. And that it's the base in which all the greatest uh, uh, yeah. mixed martial arts... Is that true? That yeah. it, it's, it's kind of like the foundation. You, you have to have that, because if you go down to the mat, you got to be able to win that battle. You're, yeah, you're in trouble. So, mixed martial arts really got its notoriety with the ultimate fighting championship ufc though it predates that obviously it goes back to thousands of years ago with pancrase you can google that if you want listeners but what was found with that experiment of the ultimate fighting championship is that a small jiu-jitsu practitioner named hoist gracie was dominant despite being physically not that impressive he was maybe even a little bit lighter than me my size and he was beating these massive huge guys because jiu-jitsu if you don't know it is uh it's magic you know functionally against Mm -hmm. big people but there's no mixed martial artists now who aren't functionally well-rounded now you'll occasionally have a kickboxer who comes over who has to pick up the ground game and what they're going to start with is some wrestling to probably keep it standing up but for the most part yeah if you if you get to the ground jiu-jitsu is your only shot so yeah most of them are training jiu-jitsu they're high level people now so yeah so when so when is your church going to be submitted to like the whole gospel according to jiu-jitsu i i tried to tell a story last week and i went to my focus group and my focus group last week happened to be it was only three people and uh one of them was my college roommate's mom and the other one was maybe a few years younger than her. And then the other guy was uh, probably 60. He was a college track athlete, uh, distance runner at UT. And uh, I tried it out, and I had this story about a buddy that I trained with who was an Army Ranger, and I didn't know that when I trained with him. And then he did this judo thing and did this whole thing about, like, breaking grips. And I tried with them, and I just saw the looks in their faces and, like, yeah, I can't do this. I can't do this on Sunday. But I did use that metaphor of, like, you have to break, like, take captive every thought. You have to break the grips that the, oh. the adversary has on you. And I'm saying it. I look over, and one of my guys from my gym who comes to my church now, I look at him. He gives me the look like he knows what I'm saying. And so he got it, but I was like, yeah, I can't do, do a jiu-jitsu illustration in church yet. I'm just not not there yet. All right. Well, well, I'm looking forward to it because I see something coming here. I see something okay. down the pike with you, you know. Okay. Well, well we'll see. Maybe G- if like I get Jason. Oh, oh, dear. Go ahead. Jesus did what? Jesus I'm like, I'm choking in church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The trouble is, you put that title out there. Talk about culture war. People are like, oh no, Luke, we're you know. Yeah. No, I've yeah. I haven't. It's been like three years, and I ain't talking about it yet. So, well, maybe one of these days I'll bring it up. But um, I, I masquerade them in high school wrestling stories because I feel like that's oh, more palatable okay. because it's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. scholastic sport, and everyone's like, oh, okay, that's acceptable. But anyway, 
So yeah. whatever. In the meantime, you work on your Twilight book. Uh, we'll have you back on as that gets closer. And I'll let you get back to your vacation. But Richard, it was a pleasure as always. As always. Take care, my friend. Thanks, man.